we're continuing in our series called Intermission. And I'm, I've been really excited about this series and what God continues to do and continues to show us. And um, this week is no different. And as we kind of went through this and we were trying to figure out what, what, what we were feeling, we, when Gail and I were talking about this, we really didn't feel like we were done with the Old Testament yet. And so when we didn't feel that, we're like, we're out of like what the story is outlined. But there were so many different stories that like Gail and I would push back and forth to go, man, if we could talk about this, it'd be great. So that's how this series came about called Intermission. It's basically the parts that we either skipped or missed, not intentionally, it just as we followed the curriculum or as we followed the story and kind of how the story was laid out, it kind of just came that way. And so now what we wanted to do is we're going back into it and we're, we're hitting little pieces here and there of the different stories that we missed. And so today, um, I want to introduce you to a, a, a person in the Bible. Some of you probably know, but you think I'm sneezing when I say this, but it's Elisha, okay? Now, let me tell you who Elisha is, okay? Elisha is Elisha, not Elijah, okay? So there's a, there's a prophet named Elijah, and there's one named Elisha, okay? How many knew that? Okay, we're going good. Good, Bible IQ up. Okay, so... Elisha and Elijah. Elisha and Elijah. Okay, there we go. And we're introduced to Elisha in 1 Kings 19. Now, here's the interesting part about this. If you remember when we talked about Elijah in the Bible, we talked about him upsetting King Ahab and a lady named what? Yes, you guys listened. Okay, Um, Jezebel, right? And right shortly after that story, we see God telling Elijah to go up into the mountain, right? And when he goes up into into the mountain... We see him, like, encountering God. And he's expecting God to come in, like, some big way, right? So whether it's through an earthquake, a fire, or uh, something, you know, all these things pass. All these things happen, and God didn't show up in any of them. But he showed up in what? You guys must be saying how God showed up in a small whisper because I can't hear you, okay? He showed up in a small whisper, okay? And Adrian was funny because all you heard was a small whisper. I'm like, okay, either you're playing with me or you're like, you can't say loud whisper, you know, or sorry, you can't say small whisper loud, okay? Um, but here's the thing. In that time, after that, God began to speak to Elijah, and he began to give him these different things that he was to do. The first one was he was to anoint this next king as the king of Israel, to do this and do that. But then in the middle of there, there's this thing, and I want you to anoint Elisha as the next prophet of Israel, Right? And so we don't, we don't see much other of Elisha other than Elijah's encounter shortly after that where he goes and he meets Elisha right in his workplace, okay? It'd be like Gail coming up to you at wherever you work and going, here, you're the next prophet, bye, you know, and turn and walk away. That's what Elisha did, or Elijah did. Elijah walks up to Elisha as he's doing his work, which was farming, and he was plowing his fields, and he puts this, the cloak on him, and he then walks away. And so Elisha, you know, I can only imagine, was just going about his ordinary day, you know, looking at cows' butts because that was his job as he was behind a plow, just found the cows, right? You guys are all too spiritual, okay? So, you know, if I said he was plowing with oxen, you know all your thing was going, that's a boring job. He has to look at the butts of cows all day, you know, like, okay, you guys are lost. Um, But here's the thing. That was just his life. That's what he was doing. That's how he made his living. That's what, how he provided. That's how he did all this stuff. So when Elijah came, the Bible records that Elisha took and slaughtered his oxen. 
I was like, whoa, okay. He could have just gave it to like another family member to have, but he slaughtered these oxen and he began to feed his family and began to feed these other people in this community. But he didn't just stop there. He went and he burned the plows. So not only did he get rid of the, the oxen, he got rid of the plows too so that, and here's the beauty of this, so that he could never go back to that old life. I think sometimes, and this is just a short mini message in the middle of a big message right now, I think so many times God asks us to step away from that and we don't burn those things and so we end up going back to those at some point and we're never meant to. But Elisha takes this step and he says, you know what, this isn't who I am. I'm getting rid of this. I'm going to do away with it so I can never come back to it. And so then we, we see this little break after that period and then we see Elisha come back into the picture in 2 Kings. Actually, let me back up here a minute. As he begins to follow Elisha, or Elijah, Elisha is asked a question. He said, Elijah looks at him. Do you see how tongue-twisting this is, right? Okay, have faith, or have grace on me today. Um, Elijah looks at Elisha and says, what can I give you? And he says these words that were pretty amazing. I want a double portion of your anointing. Now, think about this for a minute. Elijah is somebody that we know about really well. There's a lot written about him in the Bible. He even comes back up in James in the New Testament where it says if we could just pray like Elijah, right? Like, so he's, he's well known. And he's going, I want to double portion what you did. I want to do even more than you've ever done. And basically what he's asking in that site is, he goes, I want to be to this community just like your son would be to this community. Like, I want your inheritance. I want what you have to give, but I want it double. And so Elijah goes, well, I the only way that can happen is if when I'm taken or when I die, whatever may happen, if you, if you see the, the Spirit of the Lord pass by. And so Elijah starts to head out this one day, and he's like telling Elisha to stay here. And Elisha's like, I'm not, I'm following you. <laughs> because if I want this, I got I to gotta keep you in my sights at all times. And it says, as they were walking, the Spirit of the Lord came and took Elijah away, right? And it said that Elisha received a double portion of his anointing. And so, really what that means is this. Like, the things that Elisha did were even greater than what Elijah did. But yet, we don't read a lot or hear a lot about Elisha. We hear a lot about Elijah. But here's the beauty of this. In these first few chapters of 2 Kings, we get to, like, get a picture of Elisha's life. We get to get a picture of some of the things that he was able to do under that anointing, under that call of God. And so we're going to pull out one today, and then in a couple of weeks we're going, to, we're going to go and read another one. But today what I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings um, chapter 6. And the story basically goes like this, and then I'm going to, we'll focus in and read another section. So if you want to turn to it, you can turn and keep your finger on verse 15. As Elijah, or Elisha is helping the king of Israel, and he's a part of that whole community, every time the king, the king of Aram came at the Israelites, the Israelites would not be there. So the king of Aram was really upset, as you can imagine. Like, you're being told that the Israelites are here, you're sending all your armies there, and when they get there, there's nobody there to be found, right? And so as you can imagine, this king is very upset, as many of us would be, if we're being told one thing and then we get to there and they're not there, you would begin to think all of a sudden that there's either a spy or there's a traitor in your midst, right? 
And so you'd begin to question everybody around you just like this king did. And he looks at him, he goes, who among you is a traitor? Who among you is a spy? And he goes, none of, all these people are going, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And he's like, it's Elisha. And they're like, he's like, Elisha? Yeah, the prophet of Israel. They say that he even knows what you say in the private chambers of your, your secret life. And so then he, he finds these things out and he goes and tells the king of Israel and the king of Israel moves them. And, and so that's why we keep missing everywhere they are. We're, not, we're there and they're not there. And so the king goes, I want you to find Elisha right now. And so the word comes back to the king that he's in Dothan. And so the king sends an entire army there. Okay? And this is the part of the story we pick up. In 2 Kings 6, 15 through 18, it says, when the servant of the man of God went out early the next morning. Okay, now, Let's look at this for a minute. I don't know about you. When I get up in the morning, my eyes are a little, you know, blurry and I'm a little tired, you know. And so this is the part where we catch. This, this servant is waking up early in the morning and he walks outside his tent. And as you can imagine, as he's looking up, all he sees is this army all through the hills. And his first words are this. Oh, no, my Lord. But I don't think he just said it with like, oh, no, my Lord. I think he said it with wet pants and a very scared heart. Oh, no, my Lord. You know, like, what are we going to do, right? Like, look at what's out here, and we're just here, just little us. How are we going to do this? And then Elisha says, don't be afraid. Easier said than done, correct? As you're staring out at the hills, and all you see is enemies, and you're standing there, and this guy looks at you and says, don't be afraid. Okay, I won't drink that Kool-Aid, but don't be afraid. And then he says, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's an army standing there, and someone looks at me and goes, yeah, there's more for us than against us, I'm like, okay, then who's the traitors in this group up here that are going to, like, start coming, and then they're going to turn on each other? And Elisha says, no, no, there's more for us than there are against us. And it continues on in verse 17 and it simply says this. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice about this verse. The first one is this. He didn't pray for God to change the circumstances. When the servant is sitting there afraid, fearful that, man, we're going to die, he didn't go, okay, servant boy, come here for a minute. I'm going to teach you how to pray. And we're going to pray that God just automatically removes us and we disappear and vanish into pure sight and go, end up somewhere else. Or that God just takes and all of a sudden they're done. He says, no, we're going to pray for open eyes. And he doesn't sit there and try to persuade the young servant to believe. He just says, Lord, would you open his eyes? This morning, <clears throat> I've spoke this message twice now. <clears throat> and I can tell you the beauty of when I speak, all three of them are different. And so it'll be the same way here. <laughs> but here's the thing. The first service after I left, and I mean, there's people that in the first service that I've even talked to afterwards, like, it was a great message, blah, 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 you know. But when I left this place, I left going, that was terrible. And I walked out, I walked out and got my car, and I, I drove to Adrian. As I'm driving to Adrian, I felt like God just going, you're trying to persuade people. Because I'll tell you this, I'm, I'm somebody that will argue things to death, okay? 
I'll, I'll persuade people, and I mean, it's called arguing, but I'll use the word persuade. It's a little less, you know, sharp. So I choose to try to persuade people, and then once I persuade them, you know, they, they agree with me, and everything's good, right? Um, but no, not really. And as I'm sitting and driving, I, I had that feeling of like, okay, God, would you open up my eyes to see? And I felt that as I was driving there that I didn't share what I needed to share. I shared portions of it. I, I, I did my best to try to convince, I guess. But when it really got down to it, God's like, that's not who I've called or created you to be. I'm a very, if anybody that's gotten to know me really close knows that I'm a very personal, per, like as far as like speaking, if I don't speak from my personal life, I, I'm, I'm done. If I don't speak from community and the relationships I'm in, I, it, to me, I'm like, missing something and so as I was heading to Adrian I God began to kind of remind me of some things and this week has been a really interesting week because this week is I mean as you have a teenage daughter anything can happen from minute to minute or second to second Um, and so I'm sitting there dealing with a situation with her this week and me being persuasive um tried to persuade her on saying, no, what you're doing is wrong, and kept just going and going and taking things away and making threats and doing all this stuff, you know? And, and I literally sat there, and I'm like, okay, this isn't working, you know? It is. I mean, it'll work, but it's just not the way I want it to work because it's not doing anything. Like, I'm not leaving room for God to do what God needs to do. And uh, it really felt like God going, yeah, you know that message that you have to speak? in three days? Yeah, oh yeah, that one. Okay. Why don't you try that? Why don't you try praying that I open her eyes? Hey, good idea. Why didn't I think of that, you know? But about halfway through the week, I don't know, God got my heart and then Ron got in my ear too. um, Because Ron knows the situation, but I didn't, it just, it just changed. Something changed. And I said, God, would you open Kalkanon's eyes? Would you help her to see what she's up to? Would you help her to see that what she's up to is not good for her or for anybody around her? And you know what? You kind of begin to sense a little bit of a difference happening in her. The other thing that's kind of been really hitting me over the last couple weeks is... Um, our kids are in all kinds of sports, and, and one of them is uh, Zeke's in travel baseball. And so we're everywhere and anywhere at any day of any time. And um, last weekend we found ourselves in Frankenmuth. Um, great weekend to go to Frankenmuth. Air show, dog show, baseball tournament. It's like, oh, this is fun. There are a lot of people. Um, but on the way up there, I really just, I started reading through this and started studying a few weeks ago about it. And I was like, okay, God was... I got time. I'm just mindlessly driving, you know. God, would you open up our eyes to see what you have for us this weekend with these boys, with the coaches, with the parents, all this stuff. And it was really cool to me because in that moment, I felt like God just opening up my heart to something that I never had seen. You see, we have a great group of kids. But one of the things about our kids is they are very tender-hearted boys. You know, I think all boys at the core are until somebody gets a hold of them and tells them to suck it up and, you know, do all that stuff. But these boys, I don't know what it is, but God has given them such a tender, soft heart. 
and not just to people around them, but even to God. And uh, as we're sitting there, and we've been struggling this year to really kind of connect with them because it's like, okay, guys, what are you doing? You know what? You're, we've already taught you all this stuff. Like, this shouldn't be a problem. But yet, every time something happens, every time there's an error, every time there's a misplay, every time, it's like they're coming off crying. I'm like, you're boys, 10 years old, okay? And I'm trying not, you know, to crush them, trying to be persuasive, okay? And all that's going through my head is Tom Hanks yelling, there's no crying in baseball. You know, like that's all that's going through my head. And it was yours too, right? See? But what was interesting is um, God spoke very clearly. And he said, those boys are with you guys for this time for a reason. And that reason has very little to do with those boys as much as it has to do with what God is wanting to do in my life and in the other coaches' lives. Now, here's the beauty of it. This word open, this word open has a lot more meaning and has such a bigger picture than what you and I can even imagine. Because when we look at open, it's like, okay, everybody close your eyes. I'm looking, close your eyes. There you go. Now open them. Okay, nothing changed, right? I'm still here, right? That'd be cool if I could have disappeared though. Anyways, but we open our clothes and we open them. We open our, oh, we open our clothes. We close our eyes and we open them all the time. We're always opening our eyes. We're always closing our eyes. We're blinking all the time, right? Here's the interesting part about this. This word in the Hebrew has a whole lot more meaning than just to open. And it, the word for it is this, pakao. I sound like a cockatoo, but that, I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's the word. And the word simply means this. And it has to do with this picture. What is that picture? Anybody? Nobody's got it right today yet. Someone said it looked like a guy throwing bread. I'm like, I don't want that bread. But what is he doing? Cleaning trash, removing, removing rubble, right? So this picture's from Haiti, obviously. And, and so it's a picture of a man removing the rubble. Because in order to start rebuilding, you've got to remove the rubble to get down to where you need to get to. And what's really cool about this word is this word, um, at the root of it, is to remove the things that are blocking sight. Remove the rubble. Now, it got me thinking a lot this week because of how much, like, rubble I have from my past, how much rubble I have, how much rubble I see in my friends' lives and, and all that stuff. And so when my eyes are open and I'm seeing just as I'm seeing and I look around and my circumstance says I'm dead because there's a whole army of people coming against me, and there's so much against me, I'm looking at this rubble, and I can't see what's beyond it. I can't see what's underneath it. I can't see what's around it because the rubble's in the way from me seeing exactly what I need to see. And so this word just doesn't stop with removing rubble. It, it goes to this next thing, which it simply means this. Remove the rubble so that he might flourish. Remove the rubble so that what's there might finally take root and grow. Move the rubble out of the way so you can see clearly. Right? So that picture for me was huge. Because as I was thinking of it through the lens of the kids and the, the coaches that I have and the friends that I have, I began to look at it and go, oh, God, you're wanting to do something in my friend's life who's the coach? And you've put all these really sensitive kids around this really, like, gruff, hard guy. 
And yet God's wanting to restore a tender heart in him. Because when he was about that age, somebody took that away from him. Somebody destroyed that in him. And so he looks through everything through rubble and God's going, I want to pull the rubble away so he can actually see these kids and love them and teach them to be men of God who it's okay to be sensitive. It's okay. Now, we don't want kids crying all the time in baseball, but it's helping them understand that a sensitive heart's a good thing. But if you allow the rubble to pile up, all that rubble tells you is, I gotta suck it up. I just gotta, I gotta put my nose down and just do what I need to do. And that's not what we're supposed to be or who we're supposed to be. And so we see this picture, this beautiful picture of God pulling these things aside and showing us right, what's right there in front of us. What's interesting is Elijah continued to pray. He said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord did what? Open the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elijah. Choose to look at it this way for a minute. He opened up the servant's eyes so that he can see something that he hadn't seen before, that he was missing or that had been buried so long that he forgot about it. And God's wanting to remove the rubble. He's wanting to push those things aside so that you can see, so that you can open up a path, so that God can continue to bring to life what needs to come to life. That was the other picture, as you saw that flower coming out of that rubble area. There was new life coming out of something that was all broken down and all dead and all gross. There's a parable that many of us are familiar with, And it's in Matthew 13, 1 through 22. And if you've been around church for any time, if you've been to any VBS, if you've been to any Sunday school, if you've been anywhere, you're probably really familiar with the parable of the sower. Okay? If I called you up here, probably somebody could come up here and give us the whole story way better than I'm about to. But basically, it's the story of this farmer who takes a seed and he goes out and he begins to cast the seed to plant, right? And as he's casting the seed, it says, Jesus is telling the story that some of it falls on rocky soil, some of it falls in thorny, a thorny area. Some of it falls on really hard, pressed down area. And then some of it falls on this really fertile, lush soil. And it begins to tell the story of what happens when those things happen. So when it falls into the, the rocks, it, it, found, it finds its root and it shoots up really quickly. But then sooner or later it dies because the roots can't get down deep enough. Or when it falls into the midst of the thorns, the thorns wrap around it and end up killing and choking it out. Or when it falls on the hard path, it says that the birds came down and began to eat the seed. But it said that, but then there was a seed that fell on this fertile soil. And so the seed that fell on that, it says that it produced a harvest 30 to 60 to 100 times more than he could imagine. So the soil, what is the soil? Why does it smell in the country all the time? Because farmers like to use what to grow things? Crap. Yep, I said in church, okay? They like using manure. They like using cow poop. They like using any kind of poop, okay? But here's the thing that hit me, struck me. To get good soil, you got to kind of have that stuff in the soil, right? So it got me thinking, last service. So maybe God wants to use some of the rubble around you, and he wants to till it up in because he knows that all that crap is what's going to be needed to cause new life to grow of that fertile, rich soil. 
So you look at your life and all you see is rubble that can't be used and God looks at it as fertilizer to grow what needs to come and what needs to come to life. That we look at it and we go, God, can you please change my circumstance? Can you just please make these darn kids stop crying? Right? Can you take away this financial struggle? Can you just get this thought out of my head? Can you just please help me get through? And we're asking God to change circumstances instead of change a heart, instead of opening eyes to see what needs to be seen. So prayer for me lately has been completely different because I literally look at it and go, okay, God, would you please open up so-and-so's eyes? I don't know many of you. I mean, I know quite a few of you here, but not super personal. But this morning I found myself praying for people that I don't really have a deep or even a, kind of a casual relationship with. But I found myself praying for families in this church. I found myself praying for friends of mine who I'm, I'm actively intimately involved with in their, in their lives going, okay, dude, what are you doing? And they're, all they're wanting is a change of circumstance. They're just wanting something to change so that it just all goes away. And they're trying to put themselves in different positions so that they can, don't have to face the, the army that's on the hills. And God's going, there's more for you than there's against you. Just sit there for a minute and look. And pray and look, and you'll see. And so I found myself praying for my good friend Josh. I found myself praying for my friend Rod. I found myself praying for my friend Nathan, Michael. I found myself praying for Dwayne. I found myself praying for all these people. And my prayer the whole time was, God, open up their eyes to see. For some of them, I know their story is really intimate because I go way back with them, where I'm like, help them understand that they're not defined by those things. They've lived 20-some years being defined by a situation or being hurt by a situation, and they haven't been able to move past it. And God's going, I want to heal that. But yet we just want it to be done with. We just want it to be over with. Today, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know the, the depths that you're trying to take things that are destroying people around you. I don't know what you're doing, but God's going, pray for them. Pray that God opens up their eyes so they can see, because here's the thing I know about me, is God has been calling me lately more and more and more, and I've known this for a while. Like, I'm, I'm somebody that tells the truth. <laughs> I don't like it, because it means I have to have hard conversations. But God showed me this week, hard conversations are a lot easier when I open their eyes. So instead of coming into it with a confrontation spirit or coming into it with a persuasive spirit or an argumentative spirit, why don't you come into it with just an open heart and an open mind to say, God, I've already prayed that you would open their eyes and so I'm believing that that's the truth because your word says that if we pray, you're, you're going to answer it. And here's the thing. Jesus is sitting here telling this story and he goes through this section of scripture and if you look at you can look at it a little bit later, but Matthew 13, he starts talking about the prophecy of Isaiah. The disciples start asking him, why do you always tell stories? Why do you always teach in parables? And he goes, because you understand some things that are kingdom, that you have to have kingdom eyes to see. And he said, there's some that aren't, but these stories reveal kingdom principles that everybody needs to understand. But he said, some will keep their eyes closed and some will keep their ears, their ears plugged and they won't see or they won't hear. But he looks at his disciples and he said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He's saying, 
I want to open up your eyes. I want you to see and see that what you're seeing is right. And that what they're seeing is wrong because their eyes are closed and their ears are plugged. You know how many people walk around society with their ears plugged and their eyes closed? Because they don't want to see or they don't want to hear because if they did, then there would have to be a response that follows. So we'll make up all these things. We'll do all these things. We'll complain about other things that keep us distracted over here and over there and over here and over here. But we won't focus right here and go, this is what I'm supposed to be seeing. But I don't want to see that because that's going to require something of me that I can't do. And the reason you can't do it is because you want more of what you want instead of what God wants. And so you let anger, you let lust, you let control, you let all these things creep into your life and control your life. And you find yourself sitting there going, hey, is everybody so against me? Why are they always against me? I don't know about you, but every, there's a good chunk of people that are in my life that it seems like they are the victim in every situation. You know, they're, I'm like, dude, what in the world? Nobody's against you. There's more for you than there are against you. You know, by the way, Jesus is always for you. He's your number one cheerleader. He paid the price for you to be able to have this life. To be free, to have all that you have. Jesus paid it all, everything. And what we take is sacrifice and we pull, throw it in the pile of rubble that's sitting in front of us. And God's going, can you clear this away so that you can see what you need to see? So my prayer this morning had really been for each of us in this room. Because I know God's been opening up doors for me to have conversations with people left and right. And I get to go in those conversations full of grace and full of truth. Because according to his word, that's how Jesus lived. But I also get to walk in those conversations or those situations with a peaceful heart to say, God, I've already prayed that you'd open up their eyes. And so there's no amount of me having to fight. There's no amount of me having to do all these things to get this desired outcome. When you open up your, with their eyes, you'll open up their eyes. And when you open up their ears, their ears will be open. I can't pull their hands out of their ears. I can't pull their hands away from their face. Only you can. Because what's interesting about this thing with Elijah is that even though he prayed that God would open up the eyes of his servant, the next verse in 18 in 2 Kings 6 says that he asked that the Lord would strike the army with blindness. And now that blindness doesn't mean like, you know, they couldn't see at all. It was, it's like when, you know, when you get punched in the face, I, mean, I don't know if you've been punched in the face, or when you get hit in the face by like poked in the eye or something, and your eyes become all watery and you can't really see much. I don't know, maybe I've just experienced weird things. Um, it's that kind of thing. Like you can see, but you can't see. Like you see blobs, you see figures, things like this, but it's not secure. You don't know what you're going into. And it says that then Elisha took him to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is like, okay, we get to kill him? And he's like, nope. You get to set him free. But he brought him into that place to go, there's more for us 
than those against us. And those people went away quickly after they regained their sight. So what's the application for us today? The application for us is this, and this has been my prayer, is that today in the moments that we have ahead and the closing times that we have ahead that we would maybe even walk across the room and have a conversation or we'd walk across the room and we'd have a time of prayer for somebody. And we're having this conversation because we have this relationship. And you know what? If you're in the body of Christ, you have a relationship with every person in here because you're dependent on them being who God's created them to be. You're dependent that they are listening to God and God's looking at them just like he did Gideon and say, you're a mighty warrior, now step up and be that. You're dependent on them because we are the body of Christ and the body of Christ cannot move if not all of us are moving. Do you get that? The head is the head. The body is made up of many parts. And you and I each are one of those. But when we're functioning and we're functioning in an area that we shouldn't be or we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing, all you're doing is harming the body. I said this a few weeks ago when I spoke. I believe everything in life is a spiritual issue. Everything. From sound preferences to music preferences to the, where you sit, to, everything's a spiritual issue. I believe that. Because we're spiritual beings. And so when everything's a spiritual issue, then there's only a spiritual answer to that spiritual issue. And usually what it comes down to is what I want is greater than what God wants. And so I'm going to act on that instead of asking God to open my eyes to see what he has for me right here. For some of you, you might be making a decision about your future. You might be graduating college or graduating high school and you're sitting there going, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm going. I don't even know I'm going to this college. And God's going, let me open your eyes. Do you want it? For parents, I hope you're praying for your kids that God would open up their eyes so they can see him clearly so that they could be all they're supposed to be in the midst of their school, in the midst of their friends. My prayer is that people that are bosses or they're, you know, they work for people, that their eyes will be open to see that work's not about work. Work's about the kingdom. and Work's about what God wants his kingdom to look like in that spot, in that time, for that place, for that reason, for that occupation of time. I don't know. He's wanting to do something right there. Are we willing to open our eyes? Are we willing to pray that God opens up the eyes of those around us? I had a hard conversation a couple weeks ago with um, somebody, and I'm like, you know what? Prayed. I can't change them. As much as I know that that's not them, as much as I know that that's not who they are, they're still acting that way, and I can't change them. The only thing I can do is pray. Because I know that there's a God who from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is writing a redemption story, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, word after word, letter after letter. And so I can't give up hope that God can redeem every situation and he can use the rubble to bring something new for something to flourish. So for me today, this is what I bank on. When that seed is cast and that ground is tilled up and that heart is fertile and ready to receive what it needs to take, there's gonna be a blessing, there's gonna be a harvest that you and I could never contain or never understand or never even comprehend. Why? Because God has opened up our eyes to see it. Can we pray? 
God, that there's just a heaviness today. There's a heaviness in my heart because I feel like people are resistant to you, to your spirit. And they're not resistant because they don't love you. They're resistant because they just can't see anything than what's in front of them. The situation around them hasn't looked good, isn't looking good, hasn't looked good for a long time. And that all they can see is the enemy. All they can see is the, the pain and the hurt that's around them. God, I pray that you open their eyes. I pray that you would remove the rubble so that they can see at the bottom of this as things get pulled away, there's something wanting to grow. And there's something there that can handle a lot of growth. But God, it takes you opening up eyes because it doesn't matter how many things a spouse may say. It doesn't matter how much a kid might say. It doesn't matter what a coworker or a friend might say. Unless you open up eyes, God, we can't see. Unless your spirit quickens us, we cannot understand and comprehend what we need to. These words to some in this room today were just words. But to some, they were hope. To some, they were refreshing and comforting. And just for some today, for the first time, it made sense. Some people that are kind of just questioning their walk with you. God, I believe that you want to open their eyes today to see that there's more to this than just what is it the, uh, out in the physical. There's a whole spiritual realm out that, God, you're inviting us into, that you're inviting us to see. And I believe when we open up our eyes to see that, God, it will change the face of our church. It'll change the face of our families. It'll change who we are. And with all confidence, God, we will stand up just like Gideon did into who he's supposed to be. And we will be that mighty warrior. And we'll be like Elijah who can just simply pray, God, open up their eyes. And eyes will be open. We can just be who we're supposed to be and be content in the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in. Because, God, you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're just playing way better than we could ever imagine. So God, would you have your way in the moments ahead? Would you challenge us, convict us? Most of all, would you change and redeem us? In Jesus' name.